The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Uh, this morning, I'm excited about what we're going to be uh, speaking about, just, not just this morning, but over the next several weeks. If, if you're new to our church or you're visiting us today, first of all, welcome. We're really glad you're here with us. And, and I should just tell you that what we typically do as a church is we study through together books of the Bible. We, we take, for example, the Gospel of Mark, which we, we've been going through for how long now? forever, right? Uh, we, we went through Acts, 1 Corinthians, Luke, just over the last couple of years. And this is our rhythm. This is kind of a heartbeat in our teaching as a church. But occasionally what we'll do is we'll take a, a break, uh, maybe a commercial break from those books of the Bible to do something, to spend some time on a subject that the Lord is stirring for our church. We seek him. We seek him and what he wants to tell us uh, in any given month or week. And so we may pivot in what we preach about to something specific. We've done this in the past as we've talked about marriage and family or community or the gifts of the Spirit, you name it. And this is one of those times. This is one of those times where we as a church are in a season of change and it's, it's exciting change. There's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of um, just anticipation about what God may do over the coming months and years. And, and there's this sense that I get as I look around and I see the Spirit of God working in individual hearts that he wants to do something new, that he is stirring something new for the church as a whole. And so, so as we enter into a, a new season of ministry as a church, I've been asking God this question, and I wonder if you ever ask God this question. It's, it's Lord, what do you want the King's Chapel to be? What do you want this church to be like? And I've been praying and seeking the Lord and asking, what do you want us as a church community, not a building, not a gathering on Sunday, no, a church community, what do you want us to be? And so a few months ago, back towards the end of September, I was, I was reflecting on uh, just this needing to hear from the Lord. And I was thinking about how Jesus in the Gospels, what he so often does is he gets away from the crowds. He gets away by himself to a desolate place. And he has, yes, this daily established habit of prayer where he gets up in the morning and he prays and he spends time with his father. But he also does this thing where he gets away geographically from all the hustle and bustle around him to be with his father and to go and be in special places uh, to talk to God. Uh, Mark one thirty five says this. It says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus, the son of God, this is his established rhythm. Luke 22.39 says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. This is the practice of Jesus in the Gospels, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and, and John, as you read through the Gospels, you see him uh, regularly going to the desolate place, the middle of a lake, the top of a mountain, simply to be alone and seek God. Uh, and this is something I've, we've all talked about and preached about often, but it's not something we regularly do. I was reflecting on my life and how, how often Jesus does this, and this is a good practice. We ought to get away from the crowds. We ought to do this. But how often do we actually spend extended time alone with our Father? Some of you, very often. For me, truthfully, almost never. Almost never. And I was, I was thinking about the fact that in my life, I've had very little alone time with God. I have eight siblings. I grew up in, in a bedroom sharing bunk beds with three brothers. 
Okay, this is, this is my life. And then from there, I, I went to college and had roommates. I graduated college and had roommates. I got married and had a roommate, okay? I, I now have four wonderful children who are like a shadow. They follow me everywhere. I still sleep in a bunk bed. No, I'm just kidding, I don't. <laughs> but, but I was reflecting on this. This is not my practice. Yet, yet a few months ago, I, I sensed the Lord uh, drawing me to get away, telling me I... I should get away and be alone with him and draw near to him. It was so important in this, this season of ministry transition that we're entering into and that we've been going through for a while. And so I, I prayed and I asked God, I wrote down in my journal, and I can go back and show you if you care, but um, it, I just asked him, Lord, could I have some time alone away with you somehow in my life? It didn't make sense. I couldn't look at my calendar. I couldn't see that. And, um, and so I pray this privately. And then uh, two days later, my wife calls me up while I'm working here at the church, and she's been praying for me. And she says, I think you need to get away. And I think you need to go away this, this weekend and go camping by yourself. You should do that. And we weren't fighting or anything at the time, okay? <laughs> Not something she ordinarily would encourage me to do. She's afraid of bears and all kinds of things. And so she, she says, get away. So I do. I, I take that that offering that from the Lord and through my wife. And, and so I go away uh, to a, a mountainside, to some, some woods that I can go to, um, and I camp overnight. And then I spend the next day just praying and being with the Lord. And this is, like I said, not my practice. So even that time is not always time well spent. We get distracted so easily. There's so many other things to think about. We have this idea that we're just going to be so focused on the Lord in prayer and on his word. But that's what I determined to do, uh, to be in silence on a silent retreat with the Lord. And so I, I spend time in worship. I spend time in his word, praying. I, I, I spend time uh, seeking him and listening to what God might say. Sometimes we pray and we do all the talking, don't we? And, and so this was an opportunity for me to be in silence and to listen. And it wasn't easy. It's not easy to do this. But here's what Romans eight twenty six says. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I ask the Spirit of God to lead me, and this is what we can do. Lead me to pray right prayers before the Lord, to pray right prayers on my behalf. And as I prayed for you and as I prayed for our, our church, I sense God speak clearly to me just a few uh, phrases for our church, a few priorities for our church. When I say the Lord spoke to me, some of you are like, I never get that. God doesn't speak to me with an audible voice. And that's not actually what I'm talking about. He wasn't thundering on the mountainside. There wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't anything like that. But you believer, every single one of you who believes in Jesus, who has accepted what he's done for you, who are saved by him, you have his Holy Spirit within you. And the Spirit of God speaks. The Spirit of God speaks to individual hearts and minds. And, and he, he speaks to us in what I would call this, this audible internal voice. And he can shift our priorities. Maybe some of you have experienced that and, and you can tell stories of that. But here's what I believe the Lord revealed. These three simple priorities for our church in this season. Number one is this, that we will be a praying church. A praying church. I know that seems obvious. Like churches ought to pray, right? But, but what I see in scripture is this verse after verse, promise after promise about what God can do. Here's one of my favorite examples in 2 Chronicles 7, and this is what the Lord brought to mind. Uh, Solomon has dedicated the temple. 
He's taken his father David's plans and he's built this wonderful temple to the Lord. And they've dedicated it and they've had this, this amazing ceremony of dedication to the Lord. And then privately, just after that, Solomon is with the Lord and he's praying and the Lord speaks to him and says to him this, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a sacrifice. And then he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, when everything's going wrong, he says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Lord, let that be true of our church. That his eyes and ears are always attentive to this place as we seek him in humility and prayer and repentance as we draw near to him in prayer. God would have us pray. Why? So that, so that we can mindlessly utter these and thou, thou's to him? No, he wants to answer your prayers. He wants to respond to you. He wants us to seek him as individuals and as a church to humble ourselves, to draw near to him, to repent of sin, and to pray. And when we do this, he will hear and he will respond. Do you want to change the world for Jesus? It doesn't begin with action. It doesn't begin with a lot of effort. No, it begins with prayer, and his mission then is sustained by prayer. Remember Pentecost? Remember this gathering of 120 believers? Jesus has, has ascended to be with his Father, and he has made them this promise that he has not left them alone, that he will send his Spirit, a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them and for them always. And so, so they gather together, and they are anticipating something. They don't even know what. And they're gathered together, 120 believers in an upper room, and they are doing what? They're praying. They're praying. They're they're seeking God together, praying desperately to the Lord in prayer. Prayer changes everything. And, And they're praying. And as they are praying together, the Spirit of God falls upon those believers. And they're empowered to preach the gospel with boldness. And God backs up their preaching with signs and wonders. And that very same Spirit that that fell upon those believers at Pentecost is with us now. The same spirit. He has not changed. And that same spirit is at work in our church right now for the same purposes. 120 believers experience the power and the presence of Almighty God in an upper room while praying, and the world has never been the same. God would have us be a praying church, unashamedly, boldly seeking his face with humble, repentant hearts. The second, the second thing that I felt the Lord revealed to me as I was praying and seeking him is, is that we would be, number two, a praising church. Actually, as I was praying about this, I, I sensed him saying, I want my church to sing. I want my church to sing. I desire for the King's Chapel to be a, a singing church. And that sounds funny, doesn't it? Like, of course, we sing on Sundays. But this actually shouldn't surprise us at all. And yet I think what, what we experience in life is that praise sometimes is hard for us. It doesn't come naturally. And either, either that can be a result of, of just our conception of God is not of a God who is praiseworthy. We haven't gotten to know him well enough to know that he is worthy of everything. Either that or, or we feel unworthy to, to approach him with praise. We feel like we're not good enough. 
And yet what we see in God's word is, is person after person, example after example of broken people who begin to glimpse the glory and majesty, the grandeur and grace of God, and they can't help but overflow with praise. The longest book in the Bible, anyone know which one it is, trivia question? It's the Psalms. It's a song book. In addition to the Psalms, there's other songs and poetic books like the Song of Solomon. There's Ecclesiastes, which is this poetry. In the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples sing a hymn together after his final meal with them before they go to the Mount of Olives. They sing together. We see song lyrics recorded in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 and Revelation 15. We see the examples of the apostles singing hymns in prison in Acts 16, uh, 25. We see Mary, Zechariah, the angels singing at the coming of Christ at Advent, singing to their Lord. And then we're commanded in Ephesians 5, 29, as the church to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to address one another. Like scripture says life is to be a musical, right? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This realization blew me away. Some 15% of the scripture of God's word had a tune. Did you know that? It had a tune. Some, Some of those tunes are long since forgotten. Some we have yet to learn and we will and we will sing them together. But but music is God's idea. It is his creation. And throughout scripture, he is magnified. He is glorified through a song, particularly the songs of his people as they joyfully sing his praises in spirit and in truth. But Mark, you object. Maybe you don't. Don't object. It's okay. Um, isn't worship more than singing? Isn't worship more than singing? Yes, it is. Yes. And every time someone will preach a sermon on, on worship, they will say it is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. We, we worship through our giving. We worship through our service. We worship in silence at times. Yes, worship is more than singing. But praise? Praise has a sound, doesn't it? Praise has a sound. Listen to this in Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud Clashing symbols, Gary, amen, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise has a sound. And what if we as a church were known, not just in Northern Virginia, but in the heavenly places as a house of praise, a place where people are unified in joy and celebration of the grandeur of the triune God. What if people walked in here and sensed the unity of the spirit and the joy in our worship and couldn't help but say, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Doesn't your heart yearn for that? Don't you want that? I can see it. Can you see it? I can see tears of joy. I can hear songs of adoration. I can hear chains falling and captives being set free as people declare the name of Jesus and the enemy flees. This is what what the Gospels have shown us. The name of Jesus spoken out loud is what causes the enemy to depart. I love that there's a a hymn sing tonight at the church. Maybe hymns aren't your thing, but but it's not going to be formal. It's not going to be well put together. It's just going to be, well, maybe it will. I don't know, but it'll be people coming together to, to praise their Lord. 
to praise their Lord in, in familiar songs. This is what we do. We, we bring God our heart and we give him his due. And as we do that, praise changes us and it glorifies God. God would have us be a singing church. God would have us be a praising church. Yes, one of those crazy churches where people love to sing to their Lord. And thirdly, I sense the Lord revealed to me that he wants us to witness through our faith. He wants us to be a, a proclaiming church. A proclaiming church. Proclaim is not a word we use a lot, but it is a word used a lot in Scripture. And it's this, this bold declaration of, of the story of what God has done in our lives. I sense the Lord say, I want TKC, the King's Chapel, to be a witnessing church. A church that proclaims to others what we've seen God do. It proclaims to others the glorious good news. And so this is our commitment. From the pulpit, we will preach the good news. But this is also our commission as believers. This is your mission as believers in Jesus. And it's actually not that complicated. It, it says this in 1 John chapter 1. And this is the scripture that, that the Lord brought to mind. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. The life was made manifest he came to be with us and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is our, our, our mission right here. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Our joy will be complete to the extent that we live a life for this mission, for the sake of our Savior, sharing what he has done, that which you've seen and heard in your life. You've seen the grace of God. You've experienced his life-changing uh, interaction with you. And so, so the, the call here is to share that, to share that, to preach the truth in your life that, that God desires to be in relationship with us, that he made us for relationship with him, and yet that our sin separates us from him. But God didn't leave us to, to clean ourselves up or to make ourselves righteous before him. No, he sent his very son to die in our place, to take our sins upon himself so that we could receive forgiveness. And through his resurrection, he is alive, he rose from the dead. And by belief in him, we share in his resurrection and receive forgiveness and everlasting life. We will preach the good news and Lord willing, we will be a church that is mobilized and equipped as families and individuals to tell others about our Savior. Pray, praise, proclaim. I believe these are the, the priorities that the Lord has given us as a church, and the question facing each of us this morning, it, it's a demanding question. It's this, do you want that? Do you want that? You know, as I was praying about these things, and I'm by myself on a mountainside, listening to the Lord and writing down these, these bullet points in my journal, singing, praying, proclaiming, pray, praise, proclaim. Honestly, I felt overwhelmed because when I thought about it, I'm like, it sounds good, Lord, but how? How does this start? What do we do practically? That's how I, I tend to think. What do we do? And, and I just sensed this immediate conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it was this, Mark, you must pray. You must praise. You must proclaim. Before these characteristics are going to become true of a community, they must be the heartbeat of our individual lives and households. They have to start 
with our individual lives. And as you draw near to him, your public spiritual leadership will be a direct outflow of your private affections toward God. So I ask you, church, is your home, is it a house of prayer? Is your home, is it, is it a house of praise? Is your home a place where when others come in, they will receive a picture and a, and a testimony of the goodness of God and his grace through the gospel? Over these next six weeks, uh, leading up to Easter, as we're in this, this season of, of, traditionally, the season of Lent, we are going to be focusing on these, these three things. We're going to give two weeks to this idea of prayer, two weeks to praise and two weeks to proclaiming as, as we come to a Resurrection Sunday. But, but my hope and prayer is that this isn't just a, a preaching series that we go through for, through for six weeks, but rather that this becomes the heartbeat of our church, that we become this kind of place where we can't help but proclaim the goodness of God, we can't help but praise his mighty name, and we rely on him constantly in prayer. As we look around the church, there's probably Christians like this that you know. People that you admire that look like this. Maybe you met someone like this. People that, that just overflow with joy and passion and affection for God. And you might think to yourself, but I'm just not like that. Like, I'm just not that kind of person. But why not you? Why not you? God loves to work through humble people who know how much they need him. Why not you? Mark, none of this comes naturally to me. None of this is easy for me. I love that you all can pray for me, but prayer in my life is inconsistent because it's difficult. We all identify with that. Praise in my life is reserved because I'm just not an emotional person. I'm, I'm just, I just don't identify with public or even private uh, displays of volume or emotion. That's not me. Proclaiming, I, 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 sharing my faith isn't easy. People in my office are hostile to the gospel. People in my life don't want to hear it. It's not allowed. I'm awkward. I, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to share my faith. It's intimidating. Again, the question facing each of us this morning, though, is, is do you want that? Do you want those things to be true of your life? Do you want to live like this? And if you have hesitations, these are things that we can bring in honest confession to the Lord and ask the Lord to work on those in us, to make these things more and more true in our lives. How's, how does this happen? How do we become these kinds of people? Here's the danger. We could, we could reflect on this and consider our lives and priorities and pursue each of these things just out of, of human effort and motivation. We could hear this as shoulds and ought tos, and, and I'm going to add something to, to my to-do list. I'm going to rearrange my priority list and, and throw our best effort into it for a little while. And that won't work. That won't work for long. Oh, we could be motivated by fear or guilt or duty or, or obligation, and, and some of those, there's biblical precedent for those as motivations. Well, I've been asking the Lord a lot this week as I've been preparing this message, how do we become like this? This kind of church, these kind of people. And there's only one way. There's only one way. That is that, that we become stirred with love and affection for God. That we love God deeply. If we love God deeply, this will be the outflow of our lives. Mark 12, 28, this is it. This is the, the highest priority. Above everything else that I just said, this is the highest priority. It says in Mark 12, 28, and we'll get to talk about this more in the coming months. One of the scribes came to Jesus and heard him disputing, them disputing with one another. 
And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus here is echoing God the Father in Deuteronomy 6 as he's thundering before the people of Israel and reveals to them that his highest goal for them is that they love him. That they love him tenderly. Comes down to this. If we love God, we love God, we will pray. If we love God, we will praise him. If we love God, we, we will not be able to help but proclaim him to those around us. Does your life reflect affection for God? Do you love him? Do you love him? I remember a few years ago, I heard a pastor who was relaying that he had, uh, when he was young, had interviewed a bunch of prominent Christian leaders, and he had asked them this simple question. He had gone to pastors and theologians and, and, and all kinds of people and asked them this simple question, and it was this, what does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? And a lot of them gave really good answers, theologically sound answers, biblical answers, good answers of what Jesus uh, meant to them. But there was one response that really stuck with him. He went to Bill Bright, who maybe you've heard of him. He was the, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew a ministry that reaches college students with the gospel. And he went to Bill Bright and he asked him this question, uh, what does Jesus mean to you? And as he looked up at Bill Bright, what he saw was Bill Bright weeping in response to that question and simply saying, he's everything to me. He's everything to me. I pray that God would give us hearts like that. Hearts willing to sacrifice our comfort. Hearts willing to take courage because Jesus is worth it. He's so worth it. And only a deep abiding love for God will stir this kind of affection in us. Jesus says it this way at his final meal with his disciples. He says this, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then he says something profound. He says that he will not leave them to pursue this on their own. Thank God. In John 14, 16, it says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, I'm sending the spirit of God to help you, to stir up this affection for me in you. You believe or have the spirit of God. You have the spirit of God. Will you yield to him? Will you surrender to him? Will you let him work in you to transform you? Will, will you allow him to convict you and have the courage to turn away from sin and to walk toward him, to have a life that yields to him in loving devotion, in heart and soul and mind and strength, drawn you to him and he will change you and he will use you for his glory and for your good and he will sustain you. This is, this is not easy by any means. But this is to be our highest aim, to walk in that first commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is nothing, nothing in your life more important than that. And we will stumble and we will fall short 
every day. But the Lord has told us that this is to be our highest aim and that his spirit will help us. Psalm 91, 14 has this wonderful promise. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. How do we yield to the spirit and grow in our first priority? Love for God. How do we do this? I'm going to give you uh, four reflections on that first commandment because this needs to be our, our highest priority that everything else, prayer, praise, proclamation flows out of love for God. One way to grow in love for God, and I hope we all want that, to grow in love for God is, is number one, ask God to change you. Ask God to change you. Jesus says to love God with all your heart. You can ask him. And we do this by, by seeking God and saying, Lord, I feel Cold. I feel dead. Stir in me new affection for you. Change me. Change me. You can ask him that even now in prayer. Tell him, tell him now, Lord, I love you. I love you. I'm surrendered to you. And I want to be all in, not out of duty or fear or guilt. I want my heart to be stirred with profound affection for you that emboldens me to give all my life. Ask him. Maybe you ask him this, Lord, make all my other dreams for family, for success, for possessions, for ministry, make all of those secondary to the dream of loving you deeply. Walking in love toward you and standing daily in your grace. We can make that our prayer. Lord, make love for you my highest and best aim. Secondly, we can align our thinking with God's word. Jesus says to love God with all your mind. Love God with all your mind. What we, what we put into our mind will either enhance or diminish our ability to, to feel the love of God, to experience the love, love of God, to grow in love for God. And so, so here's my question. Are you spending time transforming your mind, renewing your mind by spending time in God's word? Are you letting his truth define your worldview? Or are you daily aligning your thinking with with things that are counterfeit and misaligned with God's word? Are we daily aligning our minds with with whatever is cycling through the news constantly? Or are are we daily aligning our mind with things that are absolutely destructive? I I know, I know in this room, there are are people who who come to worship, maybe even have emotional experiences of, of God's love in this setting, and then go home and immediately are drawn towards things like pornography, escapism, addiction. And God is gracious and he will help us in our weakness. He will come alongside us as we seek him. But these things are counterfeit to the love of God. It's a fake picture of love. And as we keep sincerely repenting, God is full of unlimited grace toward us. And just like you do for yourself, actually far beyond what you do for yourself, he wants better for you. He wants better for you. You're his beloved sons and daughters. And and he would desire and does desire intimate fellowship with you. So, So we align our hearts and our minds, excuse me, with his truth, the truth of his love for us. And as your mind is aligned with him, your actions and affections will follow. Number three, we can act in love toward God. I don't mean pretend to be in love with God. 
We act in love toward God. Love God with all your strength is what Jesus says. If you're struggling to feel love for somebody, this is what I found to be true in marriage and parenting uh, with friends, with neighbors. If you're struggling to feel affection towards someone, one of the best things you can do is to act in love toward them, to do something loving for them. And the feelings then follow. This is it's true in, in all of our lives. Are you struggling to feel love for your spouse? Do something loving today. If you're struggling to feel love for your children, do something loving today. If you're struggling to feel love for God, do something to love God. Love is is a verb. It is a verb. And more often than not, feelings of affection don't precede action. They proceed from loving action, out of loving action. So so find ways to practically love God. And one of the ways that, that God tells us that he loves to be loved is by us serving and loving one another. Loving our neighbor, turning our our attention and our affection outward towards others. God is loved by you doing that as you practically serve others with the strength that he has given you. Love God with all your strength. What is your strength? I've been reading through Proverbs in January. I spent the month reading through Proverbs and reflecting on on this idea of strength is one of the, the things that stood out to me. That in different stages of life as believers, we have different kinds of strength. When you're young, you have your energy, your vitality, uh, your physical strength to be able to love God. And, and so to love God with all your strength would mean to use that energy, to use that ability practically to serve him. As you get older, your strength does not diminish. It simply changes forms. You're giving wisdom, experience, resources that you never had when you were young. Intelligence that you've acquired over time. And, and this is the strength that we can offer God. Are, are we thinking through how we can use what God has given us, whatever measure of strength in whatever area, to love and glorify God by serving others with the resources that we've been given? Lastly, number four, and, and the band can come up. To grow in love for God, we need to accept God's love for us. We need to, to accept what he has done for us. Jesus tells us to love God with all of our soul. Love God with all of our soul. And that's maybe the hardest to understand uh, of his instructions here. Hardest to understand, probably hardest to do. But how do we do this? How do we love God with all our soul? We do this by, by aligning our identity, the core of who we are at, in our being, to who he says we are and what he's done for us. We align ourselves to that. How do you shape your identity? Is it, is it based on your successes? Is it based on your failures? No, this is your identity. God loves you. And you love him. And if those two things are true of your life right now, your life is already a success. So we realign our souls to God. Romans 5, 8 says this about Jesus and what he's done. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you accepted what he's done for you? Jesus came to love us. Jesus came to die in our place out of love for us. Jesus came and and rose from the grave to stay in relationship with us, to draw us near to himself. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. And if you've been reconciled to God through belief in Jesus Christ, your identity is that you are a new creation. You are not the same as you were. You are saved through his grace. You are beloved 
to him and you have a purpose for your life. Would you receive his righteousness? Would you accept what he's done for you? And as you do, you will grow in the glory of his redemption and the understanding of his massive love and grace towards you. And that will overflow in affection for him and for others. What I wanna do right now is I just wanna pray for you as a church. And I'm gonna ask our prayer teams to, to go over and be at the crosses. We're gonna pray because this is not something that we can come up with in ourselves. Yeah, I wanna love God more. I wanna love God more. We're gonna pray right now and ask the spirit of God to stir that in us in a way that we can't come up with on our own. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Lord, I pray that, that now for even a moment, we would just grasp the depth of our need for you and that in our darkness, in our need, you came to rescue us out of love for us. Lord, I pray we would grasp the magnificence of your love. And, and as we do, that that would stir up in us love and affection for you and for your purposes. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a church that overflows with prayer because we know you care. We know you answer and we believe that you hear us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of praise, unified in the joy of the Spirit. A place, that, a place that glorifies your name in loud voice because you are worth every bit of our praise. Lord, I pray that we would proclaim your gospel boldly. Lord, that we would, would understand the story of, of what you've done in each one of our lives, Lord. And I pray we would overflow with a care for others to know that same story. Oh, Lord, stir in us love for you. Thank you, Father, for the way you love the Son, Jesus. Show me more. Show us more. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us with the same intensity that the Father loves you. Show us more. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Reveal to us the depths of your love, of God's love for us and impart to us a greater love and affection for you, our triune God. More and more, Lord, be our all in all. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.